nurses and hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Is porn good or bad for your health? Does watching a lot of porn make you a better lover or does it make you worse? I mean, what does porn actually do to your brain? In this episode of Nurses and Hypochondriacs, my very special guest, Dr. Megan Moss, joins me to answer these questions and so much more. We'll also be talking about how to educate teenagers about porn and safe and healthy sexual health. This is an episode you won't want to miss, and nurses will get one continuing education unit going towards their license. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Rogue Nurse Media 501c3 and the well-written nurse empowering nurses and patients to tell their stories. Welcome to Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Dr. Megan Moss. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm so excited. I know we were chit-chatting a little bit uh, before recording, but cool. So I met you through a lecture uh, that was going on, a Zoom lecture uh, through Children's Hospital of Los Angeles or Adolescent Med Program. And you were giving this amazing lecture on (laughs) porn in teens, which I loved and I incorporated. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started all of this and started getting interested in porn and talking about it, which we do so need these days. Right. Right. I know. I mean, I wish I had this like really great story. It was more of a cumulative kind of experience, but I think like I shared with you before, I was really interested in the film industry and Hollywood growing up. And I learned so much about the world through movies and TV only to be, you know, very disappointed to find out that the real world is not, you know, (laughs) a lot of movies and TV. And then as I started my journey away from the film industry and into health education, I just came across so many young people that were asking about porn. They weren't asking about sexual health so much. They were asking about like what's going on in porn that, you know, is supposed that I'm supposed to be doing like, is this, you know, kind of normal or whatever. Um, and so I was like, you know, I wonder if there's any research on this or, you know, is porn good or bad? I got that question a lot earlier on. And so I just sort of started. How long ago was that? Like what year? That was like in 2010. Okay. So there was only, that was that cusp when it was really starting to go online with devices, right? Yeah. So 2007, it was the launch of tube sites. So porn that's like organized, like YouTube streaming instead of like paying per download or, or paying for a DVD or a magazine. So um, even though there was internet porn prior to 2010, um, it wasn't really what it is today until we had those smartphones and then the tube site porn kind of go wild. But um, and there was really very a limited number of studies at that time as well. Most of them were on porn use in like long term marriages. Uh, and yeah, I remember that there was a lot of studies on that, like marriages yes. were breaking up, mm-hmm. couples were having problems because it was mostly the male that was super addicted, you know, and they were having problems with erectile dysfunction, right? So there, so there's, so people were interested. Yeah. They were wondering what is going on with all of this. Um, how do we, how do we research this? And, um, so I started incorporating that into like health education, outreach activities. Um, I, I also learned that it got college students interested in learning about like violence prevention because, you know, you can do like a, like a 
intimate partner violence or sexual assault, you know, outreach program, or you could do like a um, on-screen relationships or porn and sex. And then, you know, you're still teaching them the same information about healthy relationships or sexual experiences, but you're grabbing them through the engagement of porn or movies. And so it just kind of seemed like my worlds combined when it was like, oh, I get to understand media and how, you know, that shapes our worldview and porn and how it can shape our worldview around sex and then combine that with health education and sex education. So that's kind of how the, 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 the short answer for how I ended up where I'm at today. That's so awesome. So what were you teaching that they were asking you these questions? So it was really just, those were the days where I was a sexual health educator. So it was where we're supposed to talk about condoms, you know, um, different types and different types of contraception, um, you know, just reproductive health care screenings and how to access services and, Um, but then when I would open it up to, you know, are there any questions? I would get a lot of questions about porn. And I was like, you know, people want to know about this stuff and it needs to be incorporated in, in the types of education that we do. Totally, totally. So tell us about, I mean, one of the things that I really loved, um, about your lecture was the history of porn. Like where Mm -hmm. did it start? Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So my take on it is, um, you know, I do have, I, I, I love history. I love anthropology. I love, um, particularly like the history of cinema and stuff. So even Yeah. So even though this this kind of stuff is, you know, in the world that I operate in now, which is like academia, but also prevention science and health education, as you know, like in medical in medical or school settings, they don't really care so much about it, but I get, I love that I get to geek out about it sometimes. Um, but, but basically in my opinion, um, my sort of sense of what I've read and learned is that we've always had erotica. We've always had these creative um, expressions of sex. We've always wanted to look at naked people, watch people have sex, um, interested in sex, but the creative endeavor of, you know, very early on, we start with like cave drawings, right? Um, you know, I show the, you know, Aboriginal cave drawings or Greek sculptures, yes, or even, you know, Renaissance paintings, but those were all with the purpose of creative expression. And most of them were commissioned by royalty. So any commoner isn't going to be masturbating to those nude, you know, <laughs> Renaissance paintings in their lifetime. Um, but it wasn't until the emergence of photography that we have pornography. So erotica, the Greek root words mean eros and etica mean sex depicted in art. Hmm. Whereas pornos and graphos means writing about prostitutes or video recording prostitutes. So pornography is about video recording sex work. Very different than just creative sexual expression. So, um, even I don't think anybody knows that. I don't think people think about that. Yeah. Because I I think that if people knew about that, they would have a different, um, perspective on porn. Yeah. No, because porn is like, I think this is, I think people just see porn as, oh, it's, um, it's titillating and it turns me on or whatever. It's interesting to watch, but they don't know that it's about sex work. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It's about, you know, it's sex turned into a product. It's sex work with a camera. Um, You know, it's, and it's distinct. Like we haven't had it forever. It's a pretty short period of time that we've had it as our, you know, a primary or the primary source of sexual learning and um, seeing sex, right? Because we don't have sex like in front of each other, (laughs) you know, we're not like going around, walking around naked. So it's our, it's our little window into the world of sex, but because it's meant to make money for other people, 
um, whenever, you know, money is involved, usually that's when um, people are being taken advantage of or stuff starts getting more extreme because it's harder to make money. So now you have to do like extreme Olympic level sex, you know, to get people to click on your content. So you're showing all sorts of sex that's actually kind of violent or something that no one should ever expect in their, in their own, you know, experiences with human beings. And so it's just kind of taken something that in theory, sure, watching naked people, looking at pictures of naked people or watching people have sex in theory, there's nothing wrong with that, but we've added capitalism and money to it, which creates all of these other problems associated with it. in, in my opinion, definitely. And not only that, I mean, because I know in clinic, it, it's like now teenagers think that that's the norm. Yeah. You know, this is how you have sex. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and and discovering like naked bodies and, and usually, um, so I grew up in an Italian family and they love to play poker. So people would go to all these homes, everybody, friends homes, Mm -hmm. and they would have these poker nights. And so the kids would all get together and whenever the adults would take their poker break, we'd go and look through the cards and they would have those naked cards, you know, yes, yes. <laughs> with like the pinup girls or whatever. And so that's how I discovered it, you wow, know, and yeah. then, mm-hmm. um, and I was telling you before the show, like, um, I'll talk to various men and people just, I guess, feel comfortable with me telling me their stories, you know, and I, <laughs> I just talk to people for a living anyway in clinic and people tell me their deep, dark secrets sometimes. And and so men have told me how they discovered like their first Playboy or uh, magazine, you know, in Uncle Jim's like basement yeah. or whatever. Yeah, totally. oh, we used to go to Uncle Jim's garage and that's yeah. where he had all the Playboy magazine, yeah. yep. you know. And you don't hear those stories, those stories now for these young boys are non-existent. And it is so, so sad. I think it's really sad too. I mean, I, I share the story often of like, when we, when I was like in middle school, we had slumber parties, we would watch like HBO after dark or like, and we'd like hurry and change the channel. If we heard coming downstairs or. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, you're looking at somebody's sock drawer for a VHS or something. Um, And it was an experience, right? It was a memorable experience. And, um, but now, yeah, it is such a common and frequently repeatable experience while stumbling upon it online for younger kids. Um, But yeah, it just becomes part of just their, their atmosphere. Right. I mean, here's another thing too. Um, parents in general, I mean, I'm kind of surprised in this day and age because there's parents that are my age or younger. And you would think that they would be comfortable talking about sex yeah. with their kids. Like it should be a normal thing. It should start at the age of eight where mm-hmm. you start talking about the developing body. Now I took a course two courses, two semesters actually at Cal State Long Beach on the, um, the psychology of sex, which was Mm -hmm. super interesting. Mm -hmm. At the time, I remember it was a lot of research studies that we were going through, you know, and a lot of just, so it was pretty complicated. Although Mm -hmm. she did have some interesting things, like she had massage therapists come up and, and they asked one of the students to get a massage. (laughs) I mean, this is something that would never happen today. Right, right. <laughs> but we were just like, oh my God, this girl's like totally getting a massage. <laughs> she was naked, you know, in front of the class. And wow. um, in some of our assignments, this the woman who taught the class was very interesting. She was this voluptuous woman. She would sit there and she was kind of aggressive too. Yeah. But it was like she was like a dom or something. Oh, it was pretty okay. wild. Um and and so and then some of our assignments were like, oh, go to a sex shop and mm-hmm. and write about it after. So you have to do a paper about it or go to a strip club and and you know, spend an hour there and then write about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it was our 
it, it was stuff like that. It was, it was very interesting, you know? Right. So yeah. I always had, after taking that class, um, I always saw sex as just normal, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and just as a, a very pleasurable experience, it's, it's making love and, and this. And, and I think that with porn, it's just taking this shift. And I was telling you a little bit, I mean, I'm an avid dater. I have a dating blog and, um, and I've been single for quite a long time for almost 20 years. And, and there's been such a shift in the dating world. And, um, and also with uh, men and having sex and how they've gotten addicted to porn and how sex is different. Mm. You know, it's more of an animalistic type of thing. I mean, have you done research in what happens to people when they're addicted to porn and their neurotransmitters? So I haven't personally done that kind of work. Um, I, I tell people about studies that, that other people have done. And I've just now started to, um, I love neuroscience, but yeah, I could, no. I could never get into research with, with the mice and then even the oh, FMRI yeah, no, research. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I give up on this. If I'm going to do, you know, neuroscience and porn research, I'll just have to collaborate with neuroscientists and I'll do the behavior part or something. But, um, but it's, it's difficult because we don't have, you know, those longitudinal studies to show that, you know, porn change, you know, completely changed the brain over time or, or this or that, but we do have studies that show that, um, you know, people who say they have that they, they say they're addicted, or they say they have, you know, they're using a lot of porn, and they don't want to, or they can't stop thinking about it, or it's just kind of overtaking their life, and they're having, you know, it's causing problems. Um, Their brains react differently to people who can sort of like take porn or leave it like it might arouse them, but they're not, it's not going to be like a part of their a primary part of their, um, you know, their sexual experiences. And so the, the people whose brains, you know, the people who have the problematic use have brains that look like, um, alcoholics and how they react to images of, you know, uh, bottles of alcohol. So they're more what's they're higher in what's called cue reactivity. So they react more to sexual cues because it's associated with more pleasure um, you know, in their limbic system, just as an oversimplification, um, but dopamine transmission in the nucleus accumbens, uh, that's occurring. It's more complicated though, because that also occurs when we are learning to ride a bike or, you know, learning our multiplication tables and things. So dopamine is, is both pleasure and learning. Um, but that is definitely a, a scientific question though, because if it's pleasure and learning masturbating to porn, are you learning how to have sex with a human being? Or are you just learning how to get really good at masturbating to porn, yeah. which is, you know, I give the analogy in my human sexuality classes, or when I do sex education with young people, you don't become an all-star or an all-star football player by watching the Super Bowl. Like all of us who are watching the Super Bowl, <laughs> we're not good at playing football, right? Right. So it's not a transferable skill. Masturbating to porn does not transfer into being a great sexual partner. Nope. But I think what people are doing, like what you're describing, is they're they're trying to do what they remember seeing in porn and yes. and switching it up and doing different whatever positions or trying stuff that might look good on camera, like reverse cowgirl looks great on camera, (laughs) but nobody wants to do that in real life. Like that does not feel good for most, you know, most women, most people with vaginas, um, you know, that's not going to be stimulating the clitoris, um, but it looks good on camera because you can see everybody's genitals, you know, all in the same shot. Uh, so people are just, yeah, it, you, they're more, they're more focused on what it's a problem when they're more focused on what the sex might be looking like, because they're thinking about it from a porn perspective, instead of really checking in with how they feel in their own bodies and or their partner. their partner feels in their body. Yeah. Right. Like being totally. in the moment and connected with each other. Cause that's what sex is. It's about connection. Right. 
But there's such a disconnection because mm-hmm. I know from my personal experience with these type of men, um, it's it's very disconnected and yeah. it's very it's not fulfilled. It's it's just like you know you eat a lot of chocolate cake and then after a while you're just like uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's not fulfilling, you know. Yeah. Uh, and um and, and yeah and and so then there's a lot of problems that happen uh, physically. Like uh, I've had experiences with erectile dysfunction, mm-hmm. and it's not attributed to age. It's attributed to porn, you know, because now they cannot have, uh, people who are addicted to porn cannot have normal sex, you know, normal loving, uh, intimate sex, you know, it's like, there was this movie and I forget uh, the guy who was in it to where uh, this was, I think I saw it in 2017, but, but I believe it came out in 2015 to where, um, this guy was addicted to porn. And so Julianne Moore, I, I think so. Yes, yes. And Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yes, Joseph yes. Gordon Levitt. That's such a great movie. It's you know? such a good one. Yeah. And, and um, so he was um addicted to porn, but he would go out every night and have sex with these women, but he couldn't like it just wasn't enough for him, you know, or he wasn't satisfied. So he'd have to go watch porn after, you know, and he couldn't really maintain a girlfriend. So it wasn't until he met Julianne Moore that he totally shifted his perspective and she was going through a loss. Like, I think she lost her husband and her son. So she was kind of in the state of, I don't know. And, And so they, and so it's almost like she was a mentor of sorts where she taught him how to have sex a real way and loving way. And so he started to connect with her. And mm-hmm. I think I, I forget what happened in the end, um, but such a great movie on what actually happens. I was like, and at that time I was dating someone who had an experience and I told you I'm real psychic and I kept getting like that he was addicted to porn. And I was mm-hmm. like, what the hell is going on in my head? And that made me go through rabbit holes of research, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then I approached this guy, this was in 2017. And it was like, he tried to break up with me and I was like, but are you addicted to porn? You know? And he had just been going through a divorce and he didn't tell me that part. But um, he got into therapy, you know, and, um, and it, you know, years later, he came back to me, he was like, thank you so much for doing that, you know, because he didn't, he was self-isolating a lot, started to drink Mm -hmm. a lot. And he told me, um, and this, someone else told a story on my show about how they got addicted to porn on my storytelling show. And he said that, you know, he had to travel a lot for business and he found himself being bored. And so he was just staying in his hotel room and watch porn. So that's how the addiction started with him. And this other guy, the same thing happened. Um, And he actually solicited the guy who told the story on my show. He told a story on um, another storytelling show through a medical association back East somewhere. I forget. It was a huge one of those like Mayo Clinic or something like that. I forget which one. They had a storytelling show called You Be Illin. So he told a story on that and, and he sent me the video, but it made him solicit prostitution and he was married. Right. So mm-hmm. he had all this guilt and shame and then he ended up getting testicular cancer, oh. um, which which was healed. But, in you know, he ended up getting a divorce with his wife and stuff. And it was really, really sad, you know, and I had met this that guy on Tinder, too. And he came on my show, didn't tell the story like he told it at the other, the UB Illin show, mm-hmm. you know, uh, cause, and I was like, you didn't tell the show, but he had like issues with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about stort life storytelling. You, you gotta be, you, you've had to have worked through your stuff, you yeah. know, in order to tell a good story. And I guess he still had it and he hadn't told that story in like a year or two. And and it was just, it was bad for me as a producer because I was just like, what is he doing? You know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm supposed to tell that story, not this story, you know? Well, you've done a great public service by helping these men realize that, you know. I I told you I'm going to be Saint Ursilia. There's no Italian saints (laughs) where all my cousins make fun of me. I don't have a saint day, but there is going to be Ursilia, the patron saint of all men. I mean, I, I swear, but um, yeah. And, and it, one of my shows, it was funny. It became um, 
uh, John Flynn, he's a great storyteller out here. He just uh, wrote this book called Baked. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told a story of how he had um, hydro, uh, his testicles filled up with water mm-hmm. um, and um, hydrocele. He had a hydrocele. He didn't know why. And and so he told this great story. And then all of a sudden on my show, all the guys that were on it, I had three guys. They started telling penis stories. I go, you can't do that. the show does not need to become a penis show they're like but yeah but your show is such a great platform because we don't have another show that we could just go on and talk about what happened or you know and so I started to really look at that you know because then another one talked about how when he was a teenager he thought he had herpes and he went on this whole journey and it was hilarious you know because he went to the library and researched it and that was before you know the internet and stuff yeah how that's like some that's some courage right and and it was uh it it was an interesting story and then the other guy gets on he's like can I tell a little bit about my penis story too and I was like no I was like, this show enough with the penises. I go, how did my show all of a sudden? I had two females and three men on that show and myself, you know, so it was like three and three. And I was just like, how did this show turn into a penis show now? Like, I don't know, you know, and then I started to see that, you know, that would be a good idea for a show, you know. So um, but excellent. Yeah. So you just went to SSS. S 2022 <laughs> I saw on your Twitter yeah what was that about it looked really interesting so it was like a sex symposium uh, yeah so um I'm a board member on it, it, the, all the s's we call quad s it stands for the society for the scientific study of sexuality I love it and we ha- yeah we have a meeting every year and it's all you know sex science, um, mostly researchers, but sometimes there's practitioners and educators there as well. And was in Vancouver this year. Um, I presented some work on sexual esteem, how um, men are higher in sexual esteem when they ejaculate on women's faces than men who don't. And, and men who, and women who have their faces ejaculated on are higher in sexual esteem than women who don't. And so there's this whole, like, you know, it's in porn, it's called facials, um, or there's the pearl necklace. Right. You know, when we it's talked on. about that a little bit before. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The chest. And so people, so people are really into that type of ejaculation and porn. Um, so anyways, that's what I presented work on. But this, this year was all, what was that? I said, that's very interesting yeah. because from my research, I told you a little bit about my experience with the pearl necklace and I was just like, yeah. what's that? You know? <laughs> and, um, and so from my research, it showed that like, especially this person was a Middle Eastern person and people from uh, Middle Eastern descent men, it's like, yeah, higher esteem, but they're seeing that person that they're ejaculating on as a lower esteem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, right. Like a lower. And so I was just like, I mean, it didn't happen to me, but I, I was just like, oh my God, what? So good to know. <laughs> you know. Well, but I mean, but it saying- makes sense because if you're watching it in porn, uh-huh. so even if you're the one receiving, you know, this the semen on your face or your chest, if you're seeing it in porn. And then you're having other people do it to you. Then you feel like as, as a woman in particular, um, you know, I'm, I must be a good sexual partner. Look at me. I'm so fun. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm letting them come on my face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, for the person with the penis, they're thinking like, yeah, look at how great I am. Cause I'm coming on somebody's face. Uh, it's, it's, it's confirming to them, maybe some ideas that they have about what sex should look like, you know, because their sex education or ideas, concepts about sex are, are predominantly coming from porn. Right. And it's such a power thing. I mean, the phallus in society is such a symbol of power, you yeah. know, the Eiffel yeah. Tower, you have the obelisks, you know, mm-hmm. and so that totally makes sense mm-hmm. where you're just like, well, yeah, I'm a great power control move, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, I mean, you could go down rabbit holes with the whole sexual, like, you know, um, 
ego and a sadism, BDSM. All, all yeah, I mean, and some people have like some scholars have said that it's about, you know, degrading the other person. Like you're not good enough for me to come inside right. you because I don't, I wouldn't want you to have my baby or something. So there's a lot of different interpretations of why, you know, why we might like it or want to see it in porn. But um, yeah, there's, it's a lot. I mean, it's also interconnected, right? That our culture, you know, is, is a patriarchal one. So yeah. we, we tend to, uh, you know, really accept those ideas as, as norm without challenging them. Totally. So there's lots of articles coming out now too, where they're saying that, you know, men are staying single and they're lonely as opposed to women, uh, men under the age of 30 are no longer having sex and they're attributing that to porn. I think it's porn and video games personally myself, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and there's this more uh, in society, like people are getting more socially isolated too. I mean, if you're working on a computer all day, I think it's hard to detach and then try to go out and be social you know? So it's like probably easier for a lot of these men. And and since they were boys, they're so trained already to watch video games. And now with the kids coming on, they're so trained to be on their devices. What needs to happen? I mean, because for me, I, I now educate, you know, since your lecture um, in clinic, when I do my heads exam, you know, when I'm asking them about their home life, their education, if they're suicidal, alcohol, drug abuse, all of that stuff and their mental health issues, which a lot of parents don't like me doing, you know, mm. which is, is very weird. And, and I think there's this weird dichotomy now where there's a lot of older physicians who don't do it, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's very sad because there's nobody there. Cause when I do it, you know, I try to be when I, when I'm in clinic, like I'll wear like, um, Vans, tennis shoes, Converse or Michael Mm -hmm. Jordan, you know, I try to really fit in with the kids so that they can relate to me and they love my shoes. They'll always say, Oh, look at what you're, you're so cool. And so they feel that they can talk to me, you know? And I do tell them, like, if you tell me certain things that you're going to harm yourself, I got to tell your parents, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I do am, like I said, I, I love to research and I love to grow with my education because then I could teach my patients, you know, yeah. uh, in, in a very creative way. Um, and, and so I try to be as open as possible to have these discussions. And I remember I was working at a clinic where the doctor was in her uh, late sixties and she wasn't doing this. She wasn't even checking the genitals. You know, she was doing mm. physical exams, fully clothed, uh, which is common, you know, and here I am. I, I do everything, you know, and I talk and, and my medical assistant was like, wow, these are great questions you're asking about porn. That's so great. You know, cause the doctor doesn't do that. And I go, well, she should. And some of the parents were like, why are you doing this? You know, the doctor never's done this. We've been coming here. The kid's like 16. And Mm -hmm. I go, well, well, I mean, that's your problem. Not knowing what a normal physical exam is, you know, Mm -hmm. not questioning the doctor on what she's doing. And you need to have these conversations with your children, you know, because this stuff is out there and stuff. I I mean, I know in my age, it's like, again, I was always into research. And when I was in fourth grade, I was reading Judy Bloom. you know, are you there? It's me, Margaret. I was reading forever. You know, uh, like you said, we were looking on HBO or on TV and and Mm -hmm. trying to figure stuff out. I was always taking books out on sex Mm. from the, um, the library, you know, because I was always very curious. My parents were not going to teach me. Oh yeah. Yeah. And at that time, like I would hide them under my bed, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or I would just get the information information out there, you know, and I was, I was very young and stuff. And, um, you know, but these parents, I'm just amazed when I get these parents and are younger than I am. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know? And then I wonder what are their sex lives about, you know, it's like, gosh, are, are people still in this archaic mode? Yeah. And so, you know, I know I'm so, first of all, I'm so glad that you do that. So this morning I was actually doing a training for, um, meds for residents. Um, and I, most of them are going into like OBGYN practices, 
Um, but they were wondering how can we assess for porn use and stuff with pediatric patients. And, and so I was like, well, you know, you can have it as a source of, you know, figure out what their sources of sex education are. If you're Mm -hmm. too worried about like asking about porn directly, you could, you know, have them check off or click on a box. Like I, do you have comprehensive sex ed at school? Do your parents talk to you about sexual health? Um, do you go to websites online? Do you watch porn? Like could be one item to kind of sneak it in there. But I think, I think asking, um, is the right thing to do. The, the thing you could also say is, cause I think what parents are really afraid of is that they're afraid that they're their perfect little kid didn't see porn yet. And you just gave them the idea. <laughs> you just gave them the idea to go look at right, it. Right. And research shows that's not true. So um, when we talk to kids about sex, when we talk to kids about porn, they aren't more likely to go watch it or see it or have sex um, because, you know, they learned about it. So, um, you know, it's like, I think they're it, more it, conscious about it, you know, yeah. Um, the more you educate, the more conscious someone gets And yes. when you don't know. And when other people are, oh, well, it's just okay. It's just okay. And you don't like with the, with the whole, um, coming in your face and the pearl necklace yeah. and stuff like that, you know, it, like with me, I'm like, no, cause I know, you know, I was like, that doesn't seem yeah. normal to me. It's not what I like, you know, and yeah. I started doing research on it and I was like, oh, for sure now. No, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yes. No, that's not right. And and like I said, I've always tried to learn stuff so that I know and I'm educated, but a lot of, you know, if it's a a young teen, either female or male that they don't know, and they'll be like, well, I just, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and they think that it's normal and it's, you know, until you tell them it's not and like, look at the, you know, what's going on here. Yeah. Stuff. Um, or they're filled with this shame and secrecy because their bodies and brains are reacting to it. Um, you know, cause it turns us on, even if it's content that we don't psychologically agree with our bodies can react to it. Cause it's just like, it's like how our bodies react to pictures of hamburgers. Even if we're a vegetarian, our brain is going to be like, Ooh, look at all of those calories. Um, so teens and younger kids, I think we need to talk to them about like, you're going to see people having sex on the internet. You're going to see naked people, um, your body, you might get butterflies. It might make you feel queasy. It might give you an erection. It might, you know, it might make you excited or, or it's just going to be, um, you know, or you might not have a reaction to it at all. It is all fine. But it's important, like for younger kids, we talk about like, and I'm talking like under 12 or something, um, you know, that means your computer's broken and you need to go talk to your, you know, your mom or dad about, you know, this happened to your computer kind of a thing. Cause they're young, they don't know, but those 12, like, it's like that 12 to 15 year old range, um, you know, they're going to be curious. They're going to be looking up butts, boobs, blowjobs, all of that. And it's just, it's going to happen. So I think either getting in front of it and telling them it's going to happen and it's totally normal for your body to react that way, but you're either watching content that is completely unrealistic because it's stuff that's produced professionally. And like I said, it's like Olympic level sex, (laughs) you know, Super Bowl (laughs) sex. This is not, you know, this is not anything you're going to do. Or unfortunately, you know, what research has shown that one in eight videos on Pornhub features sexual violence. So it's a lot of incest. It's a lot of sexual coercion. And it's all done with iPhones and, you know, webcams. So it looks very real. And unfortunately, some of it is real. And then they get it taken down because it's illegal. Um, But so we have to talk to teens about both the unrealistic professional stuff as well as stuff they might come across because that's because they're looking at tube sites because they have free access to them. Um, And that that's why you don't want to watch it because you might be watching somebody being sexually abused. Right or being sexually assaulted, or you're watching fake sex that's professionally produced for money, that kind of thing. But, um, but bottom line is it's normal to be curious, but it's not sex education. Right. And that that's unfortunate. I mean, and another thing that I see still to this day is that parents 
cannot say penis and vagina. Yes. They can't, can't say penis and vagina. They, st- I still have parents that are like, oh, your, you know, your Tootsie Roll or whatever, <laughs> your cookie. And there's a problem with that. I'm going to tell you why. And I try to educate my parents on that. I go, you know, please use a uh, penis and vagina. It's normal. You know, let's use uh, appropriate words for appropriate mm-hmm. body parts, because what has happened before, this is a story a pediatrician told me, and I was disturbed um, after she told me this story. She said that this little girl kept going to her mom and saying that her uncle wanted to eat her cookie and she didn't want to give her cookie to her uncle. So the mom didn't understand what she was talking about. And she's like, well, it's okay for you to give you give cookies to your uncle. It's okay for you to share. Okay. So, um, well, the kid was getting molested by the uncle. So, but the mother ended up, um, like going to prison too. Wow. She was it's like she was consenting to it. Oh gosh. This is what she was saying that it's okay, you know? So then there was another story she told me about this other kid and they would call his penis a choo-choo. And so he would tell his mom like, um, oh, we're playing choo-choo and it was with his uncles you know, and they like to put my choo-choo in his mouth. And, and same thing. The mom was like, oh, well, that's nice. You're playing choo-choo with your uncles. And she's thinking a train, but it's really his penis. And again, Uh the kid was getting molested. So she was just like, you know, she was really angry about it. She was just like, this is why. And I go, exactly. You know, so I try to tell people that, I mean, I remember one time, Um, a foster mom was telling the kid, oh, show her your ding dong, you know? And I was like, you know, it's just not appropriate. We should call it a penis because it is Mm -hmm. a penis and please don't call it that, you know, don't make it a food group, you know? And Uh. and so um, she started screaming at me and got a She was almost going to hit me. And I was like, whoa, you know? And it it was just a very bizarre incident. And I go, she goes, I'm going to call it anything I want to call it. And I was just like, whoa. (laughs) And, um, you know, but But those are like, I know people are very, they're very, it's, it's intense. It's very intense. And, and, but you're right. I've heard, I've heard not those stories, but um, a friend of mine who, works, um, in sexual abuse prosecution office, they, they really recommend for similar reasons, um, that it's really hard to prosecute if a child in their test, you know, while they're testifying says we, we, or who, who, or something instead of touching my penis, touching my, you know, vagina, my vagina, touching my vulva kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, growing up, I, like I said, I grew up in an Italian family, so it was very common back in the seventies and they would say, oh, you're butterfly. Like they would call it farfalina or um, a boy would be uh, like a bird, luccello, you know? And I was always confused (laughs) as a kid. I was like, but wait a minute, that's a butterfly and I have a butterfly. (laughs) I don't understand, you know? And, and I was always like, in the state of confusion when I was a kid because of totally. these double entendres, I guess you want to call them, mm-hmm. um, uh, of double meanings and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And it didn't make any sense. So I always try to educate people and say, call it a penis and a vagina. Yeah. Cause that's what it does. It's part of the body. You know, it's great to educate about, you know, yeah. what, what it does and its purpose and that nobody outside should be touching you. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, and that's it so that they know and they get empowered and stuff. But when they don't know, and they're calling it something else, like you said, number one, it's hard to prosecute, but number two, I think it makes them much easier to just go on with whatever's going on instead of the kid being empowered and fighting back, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. You know, this is I mean, wrong. I mean, like what other indicator do we need for shame for something that literally cannot even be spoken? Like right. you can't even speak it. That's that shameful is your genitals are that shameful. We can't even speak of them. We have to call them these nicknames. 
um, just, you know, symb- symbolically is just sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, in- yeah. And, and there's just so much going on in the media now. And um, I just want to talk about one more thing and we'll wrap it up, but have you seen Orgasm Inc.? That, that movie on Netflix. Yes. So yes, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say I watched it and I was a bit disturbed because this woman turned this whole thing into a sex cult and Mm -hmm. and it was all about money. So that's the disturbing part that I got and the people. Okay. No, I haven't seen Orgasm Inc. I was thinking of something different. (laughs) Probably thinking of something different. Yeah. It it was this woman that started this sex cult where it was all about, um, uh, it was all about masturbation, but the female and orgasms. Mm. So it was about the female getting an orgasm. So she had all these followers that I guess didn't understand about orgasms. Mm. Um, and, and they were very young. They were like 25. And so I was just like, what? But she was having these women spread Eagle and men just there. And I was just like, oh my God. And so these Silicon Valley guys we're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to join this cult to do this. Oh, I was just wow. like, this is so wrong. Yeah. Great. It's a great um, document. I thought it was very good, but also disturbing that people um, felt that they had to do that, you know, and, and kind of, and, and again, I think it's because we are not, we're not talking about sex the right way, you know? Yeah that it, that it's still kind of hidden and we got to go join this group of people that all, it's just weird. And this woman opened up these locations all over the place. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's what people were, she made billions. It became franchised franchise. Like she had places, these little cult places all over the place where people would pay um, hundreds of thousands of dollars to join and, and go in there and do these things. And I was just like, it was like, it was crazy. I was just like, oh my gosh you know, um, very interesting doc, but also sad that people have to go to that extent, you know? Um, Yeah. I was thinking the one I think I was thinking of was the, the rush to female Viagra. There's a doc about, Oh yes. I saw that like incorporating pleasure or something like that. So, so much. So anything you'd like to add before we wrap it up? It's been such a fun discussion. I know it's so fun. I'm sure I'll think about it like two days later sure, or something. Sure. But, um... yeah. We'll probably have you on again. Okay. Um, super fun. Well, thank but you yeah, so but much. Thank you so much for, for making space for adolescents yeah. to talk. So I, I just, I guess I'll, I'll just end with like, you're doing exactly what we want you to do, because if you bring it up in a, in a place you know, there's research that shows that in medical settings, people trust the information in medical settings more than any other information context. Right. So if you can bring up porn as like, this is something that needs to be discussed and this is important and we know about it scientifically and medically, then you are, you're giving permission a, for the teen to learn about it themselves, you know, effects wise. Um, but giving them permission to really talk about it, like, wow, maybe this is something I'm supposed to talk about. So maybe they'll talk about it with their partner or they'll, they'll be able to establish some kind of boundaries or whatever. Um, it becomes part of like, oh, this isn't just a big secret. This is something I need to actually learn about and think about. Exactly. I had a patient once, this was a few years ago and, um, (laughs) she came, she was like, how old was she? I think she was like 14 mm-hmm. and she was very precocious and she did all this research <laughs> and brought it in with her, set up an appointment just with me, like wow. me her mom wait outside, you know, which a lot of them don't like to do that anymore, you know? Right. And so she came in and sat with me and it was a whole discussion about sex, you know? And this was in my Palm Springs clinic where I have much more time to do this. And I don't have any other appointments, you know, that I'm, that are rushing me. So mm-hmm. we, we sat there and she was just asking me questions because she was dating this guy 
who was 14 years old who had had sex. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty young. Okay. And so he was pressuring her to have sex. And so she did all this research to get herself educated. And then she came to me and she had all these questions, you know, written down. And, and we had this really great discussion, you know, and I um, told her, you know, I, of course, to abstain, you know, and mm-hmm. I told her all the pros and cons to everything, you know, and that if she was really thinking about doing it, I mean, I can't stop her from doing whatever, but to go ahead and get protection and to make an appointment with the OBGYN and maybe go on a contraceptive, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Depo-Provera or or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. and if she wanted orals, I told her she could come back to me. Um, But to think about it, but she was just so educated. I almost think that she didn't even do it, you know, because Mm -hmm. of all the education, like she just felt so empowered. Yeah. And And that's what abstinence takes. I mean, people who are really into promoting abstinence, it takes like a deep level of skills and knowledge, because there's a lot to navigate, you know, especially if you're like, I'm okay with, you know, touching breasts, but nothing below the waist, or I'm okay with like under, you know, over underwear, but not under underwear. Like you have to have skills and knowledge and comfort to exactly you to do that. Right. And I also empower them to like, if it is a female um, or even a male, um, to ask the other partner to get tested if they had already been sexually react, uh, act, sexually <laughs> reacted. <laughs> Actually, yeah. to go get an STI test, you know, and, um, and, and come back with the results and they have to actually see the results. Cause I said, if you guys do that together, then that's a whole other thing. You know, most times mm-hmm. the other person won't do it. You know, I ask, um, all of my partners like, Hey, uh, I need to see an STI test. You know, I'll show you my most current one. And, and a lot of men have it on their phone alert. Mm, you know, oh, wow. but the ones that don't, but the educate the 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 smart ones that are very sexually smart with themselves and are kind of OCD about their health, mm-hmm. do it. But the ones that are don't care and are very sloppy, I'm like, you know, so yeah, no. <laughs> that's always a great practice, but yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Moss. And uh, again, hope to have you on again. Yeah, it was so nice to chat with you. I feel like I learned so much. So Yeah, Yeah, me too. Me too. Till next time, nurses and hypochondriacs. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nurses and Hypochondriacs. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And we'd love it if you left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It totally helps us out. And uh, go ahead and throw us some bucks. Our links to PayPal and Venmo are on our show notes. Thanks again. 